Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most Popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21+. plus. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Chicago everywhere. Check it. It's not enough Chicago. We just don't have enough Chicago people. Jason Goff is here. Well, I'm at Full Go. The Full Go podcast. The Full Go. Bears, Bulls, White Sox, Cubs, and Blackhawks. Our man, Jason Goff. Three times a week with Jason Goff. His mood is elevated. He is feeling good. Jason, I'm loving the Full Go. Love the Full Go. The Full Go. The Full Go. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. That is what I'm talking about. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Goff, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Today was a somber day. Today was one of those days, as a Bulls fan, that Media Day, and, and by the way, shout out to Media Day. It's always full of odd pictures being taken, guys bouncing basketballs and track shoes because they wore an outfit to the, <laughs> to the, to the photo session that, that didn't come with basketball shoes. Like, yeah, shout out to that. Shout out to, uh, to one of the Antetokounmpo brothers being pictured uh, in, during media day. And of course, people running with the fact that Giannis obviously said that he wanted to be a bull down the line or he you know he could see himself being a Chicago bull you know, at the end, by the end of the at the end of his career before the end of his career was over so yeah man media day was cool but the media day gut punch that we all knew was coming and that we had talked about days prior was the knee surgery the left knee surgery again of one Lonzo Ball and he's going to have this surgery on Wednesday but the Bleacher Report piece that came out that specified, in Lonzo Ball's very own words, the pain and discomfort that he is still in eight months later after the initial injury. I don't know if you could have got worse news as a Bulls fan, right? Going through the Zach Levine knee injury last year and the way that he 
wasn't himself, especially in the playoffs against the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, hell, going back to the Derrick Rose stuff, right? The city is still feeling the effects of the Derrick Rose saga, whether it be the knee issues or some of the off-the-court stuff that happened while Derrick was here. Like, that, that this city is yearning and just pleading for consecutive really, really good seasons, sustained success by one of the franchises for more than a four- or five-year run. I mean, even if you look at what what happened with the Chicago Cubs, like that thing rocketed, and then all of a sudden, 2016 is here, and it's time to rock and roll. The the Chicago Blackhawks, that was a a build, but the time Marion Hosa got here, okay, it was time to roll. It was time to win Stanley Cups now because the the young core had solidified itself as not just a viable entity, but a, a Stanley Cup contender. This Bulls thing, the relevance that this team reached last year was part and parcel to the fact that they had figured out the point guard situation. I mean, the years before that, where it was Tomas Sadoransky and Kobe White trying to shoehorn his talents into what a point guard in the NBA is asked to do and not being able to foot the bill because Billy Donovan put him to the test and he couldn't pass that test. And who knows what it did to Kobe White's confidence going forward, right? I mean, a guy is trying to find his footing in the league. And oh, by the way, it's time for you to defend the best point guards that have ever played the game because I'm sorry, the, the one through 20, you could stack the talent wise, you could stack one through 20 up at the point guard position now with any error. And I, I promise you, this group is coming out. And also because of the evolution of the game and where guys are able to shoot from and how athletic guys are. I mean, I remember when we were talking about Russell Westbrook and Derrick Rose being two of the most athletic point guards that we've ever seen. And they were playing at the same time. And it had been so long since guys like Steph Marbury and Steve Francis, who played above the rim while at that size. Now you got about five or six dudes in the league right now who are doing those kinds of things, right? The John Morant's of the world, right? And wait till y'all get a chance to see Jay Nivey in Detroit. Like, there are guys who are locked and loaded at an early age at that position, so all they have to do is refine some of these skills, get the repetitions down, and, and, you know, stardom is yours. Becoming an NBA all-star at the point guard position is as hard as any position in sports right now. So the fact that this Bulls team and this fan base got a chance to see what it was without that position being headed up by not just a professional, but a damn good player, and then you get a half a season you get a half a season worth. You get a little taste. You get, you know, you get to you get to rub the bread on the side of the pot and get a little bit of that sauce on it. And that's it. Because after All-Star break, you saw what this team was without Lonzo Ball. He's their best two-way player. He's a necessity because of the 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 amount, or I should say the lack of three-pointers that they take. This is a guy who was shooting it at a 40 some odd percent clip, was what you asked for. And he was shooting a high number, somewhere around six and a half, if I'm not mistaken. And the defense that he played, when him and Alex Caruso were in the backcourt, you were hard-pressed to find a better defensive backcourt than those two guys on the floor together at the same time. It made up for a lot of the deficiencies that the guys around them had, whether it be Zach or DeMar or Nikola Vucevic. It was a difference-making lineup. So now, fast forward to this offseason where we're not hearing the the news that we want to hear. And people are starting to question because they got PTSD from the Derrick Rose situation. If Lonzo Ball is janking it, if he's hurt for real, if he's a tough guy and all this other stuff. And then the Bleacher Report piece comes out the day after media day and you find out the man is still in pain, running and jumping. 
Like, this is a serious situation. And if I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, if I am a Chicago Bulls player in that locker room, I'm going at this thing like Lonzo Ball is not playing this year. Now, if he comes back, fine. But to trick yourself into thinking that the savior is coming back or the guy who is going to lift this team up to the heights that we saw pre-All-Star break, you got to get that out of your mind now because the Eastern Conference ain't waiting. I keep saying this. You take a look at what the East is right now. Eastern Conference before the Lonzo Ball injury, I I would dare say four teams that I would probably put ahead of them. A healthy Milwaukee, a healthy Brooklyn, a healthy Philadelphia, right? And then you get into that Boston and Miami range right there, and that's where you find the Bulls, somewhere around that five or six range. But you look at what Atlanta did with DeJounte Murray. And, and now, you know, <laughs> Trey Young is not going to, one, have to defend the best, the best perimeter player on, on the other team or the point guard on the other team. And two, it's probably going to be different for DeJounte Murray not having to do everything so he can expend his energy in different ways. And then you take a look at the... You know, you look at the Orlandos of the world. Look at the the Charlottes of the world, the Indianas and the New Yorks. I mean, there's some teams that are below the Bulls that got better. The Detroit Pistons, they're going to mess around. And once they catch their little groove, maybe they're probably going to be in the second half of the season with some of the young pieces have played a little bit more together. But once the Detroit Pistons catch their groove, they're going to be a tough out. It's going to be a tough night every night. So the Eastern Conference now, top to bottom, is obviously the better conference. But where the Bulls fall, they could play better basketball next year, be a man down in Lonzo Ball, and still be messing around in the playoff, the play-in area, I should say. That's why it's so important for Ayo DeSumo to assume the point guard leadership position. You know, there was a lot of times last year where at the end of the games, and I'm glad Arturis Karnaschova said it during media day, they became very one-dimensional in in-game situations. And the one dimension was ISO. you either going to ISO with Zach, you're either going to ISO with DeMar more times. It was DeMar, and DeMar had his late-game heroics, had a terrific season. You look back at DeMar DeRozan's numbers from last year, and it's still ridiculous to see. This man, this man scored 28 points a game, 28 damn near 5-5 five and five on 50% field goal shooting, and did it, and did it while Zach was out, did it while Zach was in, did it when this team was defending at a high level? Did it when this team wasn't defending at a high level? When he had to hit those back-to-back shots on New Year's Eve and January 2nd? Like, you're asking DeMar to replicate that. You're asking Zach Levine to be the best possible Zach Levine he could be because I've cautioned people with this max deal. Don't expect Zach Levine all of a sudden to become some 32-point-per-game, eight-assist, eight-rebound guy. You just want him to refine the the finer points of his game. You you know, accentuate your strengths, work on your weaknesses. Playmaking ability, getting others. Uh, the, the Zach with the gimpy knee that we saw in the playoffs, you, you saw, yeah, I believe he had a 10 or 11 assist game against the Milwaukee Bucks at one point because he couldn't move the way he wanted to, so he had to be a, a threat, a, a danger to their defense in a different way. But defensively, and playmaking-wise, and also, you know, the leadership ability that, that we know is there. And I'm, I'm glad everybody at Media Day said what they needed to say about the expectations because they are going to be high, and we should have high expectations for this team. But without Lonzo Ball, it's a different equation. It is a different equation. And the way that this roster is built, you know, the Jay Crowder rumors, 
they floated about for a reason. This team is thin at that power forward position still, and they still don't have the amount of shooting that I think you need to contend in the Eastern Conference. They got decent shooters, but there is no driving kick in knowing that you can hit it to the short corner, you can hit the knockdown at the wing and know that it's going to be a better chance to not that it's going in. Zach Levine, while a great shooter, is, can get streaky at times. He can get very, very hot, but Zach's not a spot-up uh, catch-and-shoot dude. They need some shooting, and this roster is pretty much locked as is with the guaranteed contracts and the three guys that you brought in in the offseason in Goran Dragic, Andre Drummond, and Dalen Terry out of Arizona in the draft. This Lonzo Ball injury, one, they don't have a lot of wiggle, wiggle room because of the locked-in guaranteed deals on this, on this team, and two, you don't want to elevate this roster in the way that you want to push it down. <laughs> you want to, to have a healthy Lonzo and to have a healthy Io DeSumo. Who knows if Goran Dragic is a part of the formula or the, the experiment if Lonzo Ball's knee is a lot better than it is. But you want to push down the roster. You don't want to elevate guys. You don't want to have Dale and Terry out here playing meaningful minutes for you because you need to spell you know, somebody at the point guard position or you need a wing to, to, to be spelled for a little bit. I don't, I don't know if Dalen Terry is ready for NBA basketball just as yet. But we didn't know if Ayo DeSumo was. We knew he would play three years at, at Illinois. We knew he, he moved around like a professional rookie should. And all we've heard this offseason is the work that he's put in. So yeah, man, this, this news, not just on media day, but the day after, is not good if you're a Bulls fan. It's not good. Hell, going into this thing, like I said, the Bulls were hovering around that 5-6 area again. I don't know if it's out of the realm of possibility that the Bulls would be messing around in that playing area. 7-8. Like, it's, it's, it's not far-fetched. Now, is it far-fetched that the Bulls are the third or fourth best team in the Eastern Conference? Some things break their way. Some injuries happen elsewhere. No, not at all. But from four to eight, I don't think there will be a, a large separation. We're talking two or three games, which is why they had to get out to a good start, which is why you were hoping that Lonzo Ball would be here as soon as he possibly could. But if we're talking about a four to six reevaluation period, a four to six week period where you just go back in and say, hey, how you feeling? Let's let's put you through some stress tests and let's let's see what the stability and the structure of that knee is. Not not ramping up to play, just a reevaluation. And if we're in a moment now, right, we're in a moment, what's, what's today's day? September 27th, we're in a moment now where he doesn't have, he can't run around. Thank you, Siri. I appreciate you. See, she's chiming in. See, nosy broad. Hey, but we're in a moment now where he can't, he can't run without discomfort. He can't run and jump without pain. Walking up steps is uncomfortable for him. And I'm not dismissing it as if he's not telling the truth. I believe him. There's nothing about Lonzo Ball or in his character that I know of, at least. And maybe I should make some more calls. But there's nothing that I know of that says that he hasn't been a professional since he was 17, 18 years old. Like, we've, we've known about this family, and especially him, because he was the first one for a long time now. And all eyes have been on him. And his time in L.A., and his time in New Orleans, and maybe looking back on it, maybe there was a reason why New Orleans were, was so reticent to, to let him walk and figure out that backcourt without him. But this is, this is, as Casey Johnson put it in the NBCSportsChicago.com piece, this is a gut punch. And we're going to figure out now, because 
the Bulls fans, <laughs> their eyes are squarely on Zach Levine. Whether it's fair or not with that money, that, that price tag that he is now commanding, he is locked in as one of the, not just the, the pillars of this organization, but if they don't, if they don't do what Bulls fans think they should be doing and the expectations have been raised and, and continue to be doubled down on during media day and some of these sound bites, oh yeah, oh yeah, their ire is going to fall straight on the shoulders of, of Zach Levine. But other than that, media day showed us that DeMar DeRozan is still moving out here with a chip on his shoulder. He's still out here trying to improve himself. And DeMar DeRozan is apparently implying that Father Time has no bearing in this situation. Darnell Mabry asked him a question about, about uh, you know, his capabilities going forward and not saying that he, and this was Darnell's exact words, not saying you're incapable because the way that DeMar took it was, hey, man, like, stop playing me like I'm old. But DeMar, you're old, bro. Like, this, this is year 14. Nobody expects you to be doing this. But it's just a testament not only to his work ethic, but some of the things that have come out recently that he's dealt with, whether it be the passing of his father and while his father was sick, you know, flying day of games to, to L.A. or wherever he could go see his pops. Like, this dude has dealt with uh, an immeasurable amount of stress and anxiety and also talked about his depression and 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 you know being traded and if anybody can have not just a positive outlook but if anybody could have a tough outlook and has earned it i think it's demar DeRozan. he also he also talked to us about the the patrick williams uh you know indoctrination the 5 a.m workouts in la that patrick williams had to undergo seemed like patrick had a lot more to say because demar turned the media and said, hey, ask Patrick about what I put him through. So, I mean, the the important players on this team are still the important players on this team. It's just going into this season thinking that Lonzo Ball was going to be a part of it uh, after a four to six week reevaluation of that knee surgery that's supposed to happen on Wednesday. If I'm a Bulls fan, which I am, and if I'm a Bulls player, which I am not, I am going into this situation thinking we may not have Lonzo Ball. And if that's the case, then all the onus will be not only on Io DeSumo, but the money on this team, like it should be and like it's always been. It's on Zach Levine. It's on DeMar DeRozan. It's on Nikola Vucevic. And also, don't forget, you're talking about the third year of a four-year four deal for Billy Donovan. Last thing you want to be is a lame duck coach heading into that final year. There's a lot of proving that has to be done here for Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley and injuries while they can be ex an excuse at times, this team, this organization, and that coach has made no excuses about the injury. So, Bulls fans, this is the standard that we have been told that we should hold this team to. It seems like they're they're in a, a, a tough, tough spot right now with the Lonzo Ball situation. But if, if they've got it in them, I'd like to see it because this season is going to bring uh, uh, an Easter Converse that is going to be unrelenting top to bottom. There are very few easy nights. Like, I don't think there's one or two easy nights in the Eastern Conference this year. It's incumbent upon the Bulls to not only not feel sorry for themselves now that Lonzo Ball is down, but to make sure that defensively they hold up their end of the bargain without one of the best perimeter defenders in the game on the roster for the foreseeable future. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win! 
fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Bears fans are, uh, you know, we, we've drawn the battle lines now. It's, it's official. Like, you could throw this in the annals of Ortman versus Groston. <laughs> like, everybody messing up the names and, and, you know, Thanksgiving days pass where you're like, oh, okay. So, so Chad Hutchinson's going to be the guy that I have turkey with or, or Craig Krenzel. The, the Justin Fields thing, like, I've gone from, He's going to be good. There's no way he can't be good, too. I just hope he's not bad. And I know it's early for either side of that referendum, but what I saw Sunday, I keep saying, if you would have told me that that was his rookie game, I wouldn't have been surprised, but not one with almost a season worth of starts under your belt. Uh, What do you see happening back there? And clean pocket, dirty pocket, guys open, guys not open. What can Justin Fields hang his hat on right now? We always talk about offenses having their identity and knowing, okay, we can run power O if we need to, or, you know, we got an outside zone run that can get us four yards in a pinch. What can Justin Fields hang his hat on right now? And this week, what do you think he has to return to? I mean, Jason, like, he can hang his hat on his legs. Like, I, I, I hate to, like, just go on that right now. Because mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. you, what was it? I remember last year when the Bears played the Ravens. I think it was uh, an easy narrative for people to compare Justin Fields to Lamar Jackson. And I remember thinking at the time, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I remember thinking at the time, like, that's not a good comparison because I think Fields, <laughs> yeah. I, I, think, I think Justin Fields is a better natural passer than Lamar Jackson. You're not having Justin Fields run power run plays the way Lamar does. And, and I don't, I'm not like wavering from that necessarily, but three games in, it's like that's been the best thing for him is avoiding pressure and turning in these long scrambles or avoiding pressure, extending the play and finding the wide open Dante Pettis. Um, You know, there have been a few nice play action rollout plays where he's found the open guy in stride and they've had these chunk plays. I said this to, um, you know, Jason, I said this to Pat Finley, who I know is a friend of the program uh, the other day. I I think that Justin Fields... Like, he's had more wow plays than Mitch Trubisky probably ever did. I mean, you could take Justin Fields' greatest moments as a bear and, and start, yeah, yeah, start stacking them up with Jay. I mean, because he does these things that people, you know, we, we talk about professional athletes. He does things that people should not be able to do. You get that 49ers touchdown run. You know, just certain things like that. But the problem is he's had way too many lows. So like right now, it's like, all right, you can run. That's great. Your running can create things for us. That's great. Right now, this guy just needs a shot of confidence, I think. I mean, like I watched that 29-yard scramble over and over and over again this morning. And he's got these two wide receivers open, and he's looking at them with a clean pocket. And I took, a, I, I clipped the video, and I sent it to a couple people around the league, and they were kind of like, stunned like what is like what's wrong here like why is he not just letting it rip because i don't playing quarterback like a robot right now i I mean like do you think some do you see something being or feel something being drilled into his head that he's fighting against in his inner justinness like like why what can you possibly how can you make not an excuse but how can you mitigate that kind of tape like what? What can you possibly think is is going on with him if 
there's that kind of regression. Yeah, I mean, a worst case scenario, he's playing scared, playing scared to make a mistake. Um, you know, best case scenario, he's just not comfortable yet with what they're asking him to do footwork wise, which is something Matt Eberfuss brought up. Um, and it's a, it's look third playbook in three years, right? Like we can't, I don't think you can talk about that enough. Mm-hmm. That, that that's a thing. So that could also just be part of this. This could just be natural and he's just taking a little bit more time. But that's why like he's got to make his layups. Right? There was a scra- there was a play action rollout in the third quarter and he had granted it was undrafted rookie Jake Tongas as was the guy. And like you watch this play develop and I hate to like you know, armchair quarterback. This I, I don't know if you could tell, Jason. I, I didn't. I didn't play. I mean, I, I, but all pro armchair. Did a play? Yes, second yes. team. All pro uh, college <laughs> intramural uh, offensive lineman. Right. Uh, right. So you watch him roll, and Tongas is open like right away, and it's like it's like click, 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 still open, still open, and then suddenly he throws this like little off balance fade away. It goes over Tongas head. So like, there's something. That he's just not, but like those are the throws that if you're Luke Getze, you're like, you build these into this playbook so that Fields can get these layups, so that he can build his confidence. So then when it's time to just rip it to the corner route, when it becomes open, he's ready to do that like he did against Pittsburgh last year. So I, I just, you know, it's funny, funny, it's like sad because week two to week three, it was this big referendum, right? We saw what happened in Green Bay. We're like, well, that can't happen again. Here we go, the Texans. And then it kind of happened again. So now we're just like, well, is this just small sample size still? Or is this like, how big is the concern level? Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet, from the tape that you've watched, have they been more open than, than we're allowing for? Or what's going on here outside of Justin Fields when it comes to this offense? Has Luke Getze been outcoached in a couple of these games? Yeah, I, I think they've been more open than I remember guys were last year. It, you know, not, that's not a huge bar to clear. But I, I think they're getting open. There was a there was a shot play that they had drawn up. Um, it was a play action. Only two guys went on routes, Mooney and St. Brown. And two guys went with Mooney. And you're kind of watching that play and you're thinking, if Darnell Mooney's number one wide receiver, Darnell Mooney, is he blowing past them? Or if he's not blowing past them, is he still, you throw the ball up and you trust he's going to go get it. And the, the play didn't materialize. I think that was a play where Fields tripped over Montgomery in his drop back, which again, just the offense being herky-jerky. Uh, but the problem with both those guys is, I go back to the layups, if the ball's thrown to you, you got to catch it. Like, and, and that's the thing where I think Mooney is, I, for somebody who has generally been a really level-headed guy, I, this has to be getting in his head right now. Like it was, I was surprised I didn't see him in the locker room after the game Sunday because he's great with us. And he wasn't there. And then we find out he's with the jugs machine on the field, which doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, Komet says all the right things. You got to think that he's pressing because he told us in the summer, this offense is going to get me open. Like, there's just not a whole lot. Like, he's going to have to, he has to do some work, but there's a lot. So, I, but then he drops that pass against Green Bay. So I do think that they're get that the opportunities are there. Um, I mean, there's some things the play calling, they're a little off. Still, um, but I do I do think that there's opportunities that everybody from quarterback to wide receiver tight end is just not not is not making. What do we know about David Montgomery as we are taping here Tuesday night around nine something? Uh, well, I made the mistake of going back and watching it just because I wanted to see a better angle. It's, it's you know, not it a good uh, it's not a good looking injury, man. Not good. Um, you know, 
if it's high ankle, you're talking four to six, maybe. If it's a broken ankle, I, I would imagine that would have come out by now because that's a probably that's probably a season ender. I mean, but I'll say this. I remember 2020 training camp. Montgomery went down in practice and it looked bad. And it was like, we're all preparing. What are they going to do? And he missed like 10 days. I mean, dude is tough. And like the fact that he walked off the field after that says a lot about him. So I'm not going to put, uh, you know, I'd be hesitant to put timelines on it, but it, it certainly did not look good. Um, and he, it took him a long time to walk off the field. How far is the talent gap between he and Khalil Herbert? And are you seeing any play variance in terms of what they're running between the two running backs? Because the first two games of the season, I was like, wait a minute. Khalil Herbert is addressing a lot of scrimmage with a little bit more urgency. Um, you know, it seemed like David, especially, you know, having the preseason and then having that Seattle game, seemed like David was still, you know, it's 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 up to him to learn the offense as well. It's a new offense for him too. And, you know, maybe they're asking something different from him vision-wise or footwork-wise. And then he had the breakout game right before he got hurt. What do you think, about, not just about the running back room, but the play calling and the variance, if there is any, between what Luke Getze thinks that Khalil Herbert is good at as opposed to what David Montgomery gets? Well, the Green Bay game certainly threw us all a little bit because we were all ready to jump on that week one. Uh-oh, Herbert should be the guy here. And then Montgomery does, does he's, he's done that a few times. I mean, that's that's I think the maybe that's the biggest difference, Jason, is Montgomery is someone who does a great job pushing the pile forward, doesn't get a whole lot of negative runs, still has probably too many one or two yard runs compared to Herbert, um, who's able to, as you said, not behind the line as much, doesn't do a whole lot of dancing, just kind of hits the hole quicker, maybe better suited for outside zone stuff. We saw that touchdown because there's a mix of patience, a mix of making sure you hit your hole when you're supposed to. Um, but yeah, I, I think like they, they have a great setup if they're both healthy just to use both of them, because Montgomery's probably a more rugged guy to wear down in defense if you're doing four-minute drill. Um, you know, he's going to, you know, t- he's going to shed tackers. We saw that against Green Bay. Herbert's probably a little bit quicker, but he also finishes forward. Like, he like he does not go down um, easily either. So it, it's, a good, it's a good situation when they've got both of them. Um, I mean, if they needed one guy the rest of the way, I would probably say Herbert right now. Um, but you know, you, you, you put on the tape from green Bay and it's just hard to ignore what Montgomery is capable of. Speaking of the green Bay tape, Kyler Gordon definitely was on Aaron Rodgers' radar as the other side didn't get a target of the, the entire game. And then you go into the Texans game where, you know, it's Brandon Cooks and a, and a bunch of guys who are fast but not household names. And it seemed like Kyler Gordon was targeted a little bit there. Um, these are probably normal rookie lumps, especially when you're talking about a boundary corner who's moving into the slot every once in a while. What have you seen out of the Bears' first pick? And also Jaquan Brisker, because it seems like he is out there making some boom plays and some of the coverage issues that we expect with a you know, strong safety fresh out of college. But what are you thinking right now when you look at the Bears' young secondary mates? Yeah, I think Gordon's obviously getting tested, as you said. Uh, he makes that diving pass breakup in the end zone in Green Bay, and you're like, that. that's why they got him. That He's got really good athleticism. He had another one against Houston, but it seems like, you know, he told us, was it the San Francisco game he gave with the big 40-yarder? His, his eyes, bad eyes in that play. Um, Green Bay went after him. Houston, there was a play where Eberflus essentially said Gordon was supposed to be the one to carry the tight end in coverage. So I, there, there's probably some just get, continuing to get used to the scheme. 
they still seem to have a lot of confidence in him. Eberflus opened the door a little bit, though, to the idea that maybe they should just have Gordon play either outside or inside for some time. But I, I think they're really enamored by what he could do physically. And he's a smart guy. It's just, it, you know... It, we, and they got to get Kid Vildor out of there. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too, is like, who else do you <laughs> turn to right now, right? <laughs> like, so... And, and, and to go back to Fields, too, I, there's just this... It's not college anymore, right? right? So that's always going to impact guys. I think Brisker... You know, I, I I talked to him after the Green Bay game, and you can tell how frustrated he was. You know, he had a few missed tackles in that game. And I said to him, like, you're there, it seems like. You know where the play is, and you're right there. And then you're just not making a tackle. And he said he has to take an extra step. That he has to take one more step to kind of corral the guy. Um, and, like, that's something that is kind of going to be the next step for him. And it's because, like, you can see he's IDing these plays. Like you're seeing number nine, and it's it's you know, it's hard to see because he's going so fast. He's going too fast, and uh, so I think for him too, it's just getting comfortable with that. Um, and then I'll say this too, Jason: the way that Eddie Jackson has been playing, you know, Jaquan Brisker, as he continues to put this together, they've got a really good duo back there, which is going to help the fact because the cornerback position behind Jalen Johnson is a little bit iffy. Last time I talked to you, we talked about Tevin Jenkins and if he was going to be a bear, if he was going to be a starter, if he was going to be a tackle, is going to be a guard. They still haven't figured out if he's going to be a, a guard because he's in a rotation uh, with Lucas Patrick and Lucas Patrick is on the mend while playing uh, the Sam Muster for Kenny Clark tape that everybody threw about the Internet. I mean, Kenny Clark's going to do that to some people and he's definitely going to do that to a guy who's not highly invested in, who's you know making the best of what he has right now, talent wise and Sam Mustafer. But the Bears interior line situation, the way they were moving the pile, run blocking wise, they're fine. But the perimeter, the tackles, they need some help and, and not just Jones, but Borum as well. How do you think? Tevin Jenkins has fared so far, and why do you think this rotation is still occurring? Is it is it the fact that Ryan Poles has a guy in Lucas Patrick, and he, he wants to see as much as him b- before he moves him to center, or will there be no center change? Will Tevin Jenkins be relegated to the bench? Is he going to have to get kicked back out there to the right side, and Larry Borm over to the left, if Braxton Jones continues to suffer? Like, How do you think this offensive line thing will play out here in the next couple of weeks? First off, it is amazing to see where Te- the conversation we're having about Tevin Jenkins now compared to the one you and I had in late July, yeah. early August. It, it's, yeah. it's remarkable, and it's a testament to what he has done at a brand new, new-ish position. My guess is they just want Lucas Patrick to be 100% healthy, and then they put him at center, and then Tevin Jenkins continue at right guard. That's my guess. Um, and then Mustafer is your backup at guard or, tack- or, or, excuse me, or center. Um, so I, I think that they're just, they want to keep Lucas Patrick fresh because eventually Patrick's going to have to play a full game. And the best way to keep him fresh is to have him rotate at right guard. And that, you know, it takes some pressure off Tevin Jenkins, who it is a new position for him. It is, you know, his first full season in the NFL. He doesn't have to worry about playing every snap. I, I, I don't love offensive line rotations. I don't love moving positions around. It's like, I just don't, I, I'm just not a huge fan of it. I saw what it did to Cody Whitehair. Mm-hmm. And I saw what it did to Kyle Long, and I just kind of thought new regime, two offensive linemen in charge. Maybe we wouldn't see that, but these are big. You know, they throw the cliche best five, best five. Like they expect guys to do that. So, you know, they love Lucas Patrick. Like <laughs> they love him, and you would think the way they talk about him 
that he was on like a five-year, $100 million contract. Steve Hutchinson in, in the flesh. <laughs> yeah. And like I, 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 being around him in the locker room and seeing him on the practice field, like you get it. You get why they brought him in, why they speak so highly of him. You know, he's a leader. He, you know, he, he, he'll mix it up with the other team on the field. He's kind of that nasty they needed there. Um, I, I just, I just have to imagine that the end game that here is he's the center. It's why they signed him. It's what they said he was playing all along. They got lucky that Mustafer knows the system so well. Not that he knows the system; he just knows football so well. It's a brand new system, but he, like, he's so smart. Um, and I'm sure you know, you've had Olin. I'm sure Olin's talked about like that's Mustafer's calling card. Like that's his thing that he he's gonna know where everybody is. He's not gonna be the strongest guy out there. He's not going to be the most athletic guy, but he's going to know what he's supposed to do, which is crucial for center. You can count on Lucas Patrick's going to know that he's going to be a little bit more physically gifted. And that's just when can they trust Tevin Jenkins to handle a full game. But I, I, I imagine that's going to be, you know, the, the starting line. I don't know what the starting line is going to be in 2023. Like this is all still kind of building up to like, is Jen- are Jenkins and Borum full-time guys? They're not our guys. Cody Whitehurst got contract situations you got to think about moving forward. Um, I mean, like the only guy I could tell you is probably going to be starting on this line next year is Lucas Patrick and Braxton Jones. Mm. How do you think Braxton Jones has fared so far? I, I, I've been impressed because I, I haven't noticed him too much. You know, I, like he's going to, like you said about Mustafer Kenny Clark, like he, he's going to give up a sack. Like that's just going to happen here and there. Um, but I think he's done a nice job in the run game. You know, I, I talked to him and Larry Barham after the game and they both said the pass pro, like they realized like, as you talked to him about the run game, they wanted to make sure you knew that they realized they have to get better in pass protection. Um, and, and he's going to keep getting tested. I just think that, like, if you're the Bears and you feel this good about him, you can't take him out unless he's just hor- like a, a, a terrible liability. Because, are, like, are you really better off with Riley Reef, who you had to switch to right side, like his second day of training camp? Than the guy who you drafted. Uh, I mean, it's a great story if it, if it works out. The best way for him to get there is to continue getting reps. So he's not a world beater, but so far from what I've seen, I don't think he's been a liability, which is so important for him right now. Luke Getze, um, the preseason, I was all for it. And then there would be these quarters over these first three games or so where I'm like, wait a minute, did... Uh, did Matt Nagy sneak back into the to, to the booth, or did he did he throw a headset on? Luke Getze, is he the the guy that kind of forgets all the stuff maybe that he was doing during the week and just tries to get himself out of a series or get himself out of a game? Like it's the first time calling plays on a professional level, right? So this is the guy that everybody's talking about being a, a future head coach because of all the good things that were said about him with his success with Aaron Rodgers in the Green Bay Packers. Am I am I missing? What I I guess we were supposed to be seeing is it just because there are so few raw materials he has to deal with on the offensive side of the football, and he's dealing with a, a young quarterback. Like how how do you think, or if you were to grade him, what would be your grade on the way that he's called these first three games? Yeah, it's a great question because I definitely had some like Matt Nagy flashbacks at times. Mm-hmm. Um, now. Like it goes back to Fields too. How much of this is truly that Getzy doesn't just doesn't trust him right now? Doesn't believe right. that he can handle what Getzy wants him to handle. And, and I want to be careful because I'm not saying Getzy doesn't believe in Fields as a player. Period. Right. It's right. just right, right now is they're getting used to the scheme, getting used to the playbook, and 
young offensive line, new receiver, all those things, all those factors. I go back to that Cole Komet interception. Um, you watch that play. Komet's wide open. Equinemius St. Brown is wide open. Um, I love like the motion, what they do with Mooney. You had Montgomery as an option in the flat. Um, like those play designs are standing out to me. Uh, and, and I like that. So like you're seeing some of these concepts work. You just need the quarterback to, to hit. Like I didn't see that an often enough with Matt Nagy. Like I think he often wanted to defend the scheme and kind of put it on the quarterback, but like we just weren't seeing it. And, you know, and, and to Nagy's credit, he did, he wasn't going to fully throw his guys under the bus and like, Put up, you know, put it up on the blackboard and say, "This is what I called. This is what they're supposed to do." And he screwed up. Um, but when you're just watching the three games, like you start to see, okay, like I get why this style of offense works in the NFL. I I get what Let Getsy can do. But yeah, I just wonder how much of this is just he's just he and the quarterback. He's just not ready yet to give the quarterback everything he wants to give him. And the problem too, Jason, is when he draws up a play like that interception to Cole Komet. And it's right there. And the quarterback just airmails it. Like, right. You can, Everybody looks bad. Yeah. And you can almost, almost legitimize a third down handoff to your third string running back. Almost. Mm. You know, like, mm. you can kind of, I will say this, Jason. Somewhere in Indianapolis, probably at a steakhouse, John Fox is flipping <laughs> through his phone and he sees that the Bears are two and one with this few pass attempts. And he's like, now that's football. <laughs> That's what I was trying to do in 2017. That's what I wanted to do with Mitch Trubisky. That was my goal. Now give me another martini. And <laughs> <laughs> shout out to Foxy. <laughs> oh my God. We're talking about a two and one football team, Kevin. Like I don't know if I don't know if I, I I'm in the Twilight Zone. I don't know if that means the league has turned to shit, but <laughs> this is this is a bad team with a winning record right now. And and might be three and one after this week because of what I saw from the Giants and that offensive line on Monday night football. Might be three and one. You got Washington coming into to town oh on a short God. week in a couple of weeks. Like like Such that was a bad product. <laughs> Everybody who was saying the Bears were at the bottom of their power rankings. The Bears play all the teams at the bottom of everyone's power rankings. They play the Jets in November. They play Ryan Pace, Phil Emery, and the Atlanta Falcons later this season. They play, I mean, the Lions have been good. They play the Lions twice. Like, they they play all of these teams. They're going to get a shot at Cooper Rush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They might, they might get Brian Hoyer on Monday Night Football in a few weeks. So, <laughs> Kevin, if this team is, is eight and nine, I'm going to be done watching football. You talk about the Bulls. You talk about the Bulls, the playoff game, playing game, right? Oh I mean, my God! So you talk oh, about NF, yeah, NFL. It's hell. gonna be a long, cold winter, brother. It's gonna mm-hmm. be a long, cold winter. Hey, at least you got Northwestern football, though, right? Oh, my bad, my fault. Go Salukis. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I walk into Lambeau Field, coming you know day after that loss, and I'm walking in with Herb Howard. Herb's great. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I didn't know Herb was a Saluki. I didn't know Herb was a Saluki. <laughs> and he says it right there. And I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah. You yeah. know. And, yeah. just, and I, I had to take it. What am I supposed to do? I did hey, get man. some flack from Mark Potash, though, because I'm moaning and groaning about the Northwestern. And I said, this is the worst three-game stretch in my lifetime. And Potsy was like, 
When I was in high school, they didn't win a game for five years, which is true, yeah. Mark. That's why I said my lifetime. I've been spoiled by Fitz and the Cats. Yeah, and whenever Potsy, whenever Potsy gets up in arms, you just let him go. You just That's let him true. rock. You know, you know, yeah. an irascible Potsy is is one you don't want any problems with. You know, he's the best. But also, as I bring those two names up, I want a Herb Howard and Mark Potash podcast. I think those two. Oh. Oh, now, now you're talking about last Airbender type shit. You got to be careful. They, I don't know. I don't know if the I don't know if the the, the podcast universe is ready for for Potsy oh. and Herb. That's not. <laughs> it was it was a rough weekend in Evanston. I I saw your ETHS Wildcats fell to the yeah. Trevians in the rivalry yeah. game. I don't know how good they are this year either. So. It's going to be a long, cold winter in the city of Chicago and the Chicagoland area because, yeah. as, as we talked about in the first segment of this show, uh, the Bulls, uh, Bulls have to have some speaks with the Eastern Conference in the East. It ain't your daddy's East. It's, 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 it's your stepdaddy's East. And he's bringing nothing but McDonald's for the other kids. This might be a good winter to, to, just, go watch, uh, to just go watch high school basketball. Right? Uh, I don't know if there's ever a good winner for that, to be honest yeah. with you, though. Yeah, I don't like to be in too many high school gyms. That's, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. College hoops teams aren't good. The pro yeah. team is going to be eh. Your yeah. football teams are done. Your hockey team is eh. Yeah, that's why we've been slowly transforming this thing into a music <laughs> podcast all summer long. We like to thank the Cubs and the White Sox for allowing us to transition right into where we need to be. Kevin, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time this evening. We uh, we will continue to read your stuff on The Athletic and also hear you on the podcast. Give the people the pod. Are you, do you, do you, have, a, you have a pod? I, I, I don't. If you want to, if you want. Oh, I, I, I thought you had a pod. I'm sorry. I appear on the Hogan Johns you, podcast. You appear on that pod. Yeah, yeah I appear on that we, pod. You know what? We need to get Kevin Fishbane a pod. I appear That's on that pod semi-regularly. <laughs> yeah, no, no. We're going yeah. to get you your own thing. Kevin, thank you so much <laughs> for your time, man. Tell the family I said what's up, and I'll see you out here soon. Always fun being with you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Hey, guys. This is Ozzy Guille, and you are listening to The Full Go with Jason Goff on The Ringer in Spotify. So there are reports running around town that Tony LaRussa will not be back with this team, not just this year, obviously, but uh, after this year. Um, there's a deep, deep organizational divide, apparently, when it comes to keeping LaRussa on as some kind of consultant or some uh, ambassador kind of role or just close to baseball. Uh, we know the, the issues that he's had. Uh, health-wise with his pacemaker, having to go back in there and, and take care of some things with the pacemaker. Miguel Cairo, uh, from from some of these reports as well, uh, will not be back with this team. Now, Bruce Bochy's name is being thrown about. And, you know, a lot of other managers who will be um, up for, you know, the next managerial job. I know Ozzie Guillen, is, his name is going to be thrown out there again. I'd be surprised <laughs> if the White Sox organization jumped back in the, the Ozzy Guillen business. Um, Ozzy, a friend of the show and uh, a friend here in the city, like in, in real life. I'm always rooting for Ozzy and his family, but I don't know uh, if those bridges have been burnt too much so between he and Kenny Williams and this organization for him to even be thought of as a, a likely candidate. It just goes, and, and listen, Whoever they hire, we, we can get into those machinations some other time, but it just goes to show you what one season can do to everything that you built momentum-wise, whether, whether it be the prospects, whether it be getting the fan base feeling good about this team again. For three years, 
for three years, I told people, wait till 2020. This team was going to be humming and these prospects were going to be up. You weren't going to have to worry about going through these mundane ass seasons on the South side where, you know, 14,000 people are watching the team that's 15, 10 games below 500 only to get close enough to 500 to make you feel good about not being a playoff team. Yeah, it was six or seven years like that. And then this team figured out we got to do it the right way. Rick Hahn got the control that everybody thought he should have, where it was kind of this nebulous, vague kind of vibe where who's really in control here? All the questions asked when it was a bad move. Is it Kenny Williams making the decision? Is it Rick Hahn making the decision when it's a good move? Well, all that's been shot to hell. And it was shot to hell because a decision was made to hire a guy that Frankly, nobody around baseball was clamoring to have back in the dugout in Tony La Russa. Tony La Russa had been gone for a decade, all right? And, and no matter how, how much of a, a quote-unquote baseball guy you are and how much it's in your blood, when you're gone from something for that long on a day-to-day basis, the day-to-day grind, and you grow older like we all do, you're going to be a step slower. And on top of it, some of the things that we thought that Tony La Russa wasn't going to have weren't. That was had on his team. The poor base running, the poor defense, um, the fundamentals, um, you know, just some of the things that you thought that he was going to hold players accountable to. And that being the reason why there would be the disconnect didn't happen. And then Miguel Cairo comes in here kicking ass and taking names. All of a sudden, they start to play baseball with a different kind of uh, attitude, right? A, a different kind of foundation. And too much, too little, too late. And now we're talking about uh, the Cleveland Guardians sitting around popping champagne and chanting fire Tony because they heard that a couple of times when they were in town during this season. So this thing has gone to hell very quickly. And I will say this, if I'm Rick Hahn, I don't know that I can move around in this organization going forward and ever have that happen to me again. And if I can't get that kind of assurance, then what am I really doing here? Like, what will my legacy truly be if it, when it's time for this team to have the, the, you know, the captain of the ship, right? The skipper, as they call it, that I can get overruled by the owner who he could do whatever the hell he wants to do. He, he's part of the group that's cutting checks, but I can get overruled and my job not have the proper responsibility delegated to it that the other 30 some odd jobs in baseball have. And on top of it, if you really, really trying to boil this thing down, why if I'm a an assistant GM or a, a director or pro or, or, amateur scouting anywhere in one of these front offices in Major League Baseball, why would I look at the Chicago White Sox no matter how much young talent they may have on the field and in that starting staff and say, you know what, I want to go there because they're never going to overrule me when it's time to make a big decision. The White Sox have put themselves in such, such a dark position because of this hire. And Tony La Russa did what Tony La Russa could possibly do. At no point did I think Tony LaRusso was jaking it or he wasn't giving his all. The problem is he was giving this thing his all, and you saw what happened this year. Now, you can go back to last year and say, hey, they, they made the playoffs last year when he was the manager. It didn't work this year. That's all I know. And also, you got too many of the same damn player on this team. 
You got too many guys who play first base who are out there your corner position in the outfield. You got too many guys who were supposed to hit home runs who didn't hit home runs this year. And I know pitching was at the forefront of Major League Baseball conversations this year with the, the lowering of the ERAs and, and the, you know, the disparity in home run numbers as they've gone down over the last year or two. But man, whatever the case may be, this team and the way that it's built, somebody's got to manage it differently. And if if that means not sticking with Leori Garcia to the death, right, if that means understanding that Andrew Vaughn should be a top-of-the-lineup hitter very early on in the season and, and, uh, instead of having to wait 20, 25, 35 games for you to figure out he's the best damn hitter on the team, if that means having to dangle Eloy Jimenez out there as a guy who, if he's healthy for you, can hit you 35 bombs, but when is he going to be healthy? Right. If that means putting the screws to Luis Robert and saying, hey, we know what the ceiling is. or I should say we know what the floor is. Let's figure out what the ceiling is now. We know how good you can be and are. Let's add a little discipline to that game. Let's 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 find and refine that strike zone a little bit to make you a better player. These are the things that are going to take this team to the next level. I mean, I think the only person who could really walk around with his head held high is Ethan Katz on that coaching staff. Ethan Katz and what he did to this pitching staff uh, with, with, you know, a, a pandemic-shortened uh, spring training and offseason, and also the lockout happened at the same time where they couldn't have any contact with their players. I think Ethan Katz did the best job of anybody in that organization damn near. But the pitching coach ain't the only one, right? You got to rely on everybody organizationally, and this thing just doesn't feel good. This is one of the more disappointing seasons I can remember in Chicago sports history. So where they go from here, who knows? If these reports are true, that Tony La Russa will not be a part of this thing going forward, I say good. I say good not only for the Chicago White Sox, but I say good for Tony La Russa as well, right? And the, and the, the, the piece that was it Ken Rosenthal wrote to him where it was his letter to Tony La Russa and it was as personal a letter that was put on the inter- internet as I've seen in a very long time because it seemed like he was writing it directly to Tony in the way that he would talk to Tony. Man, Tony La Russa, your legacy and what you've done in baseball, whether it be with a whole bunch of, you know, cheats in, in Oakland or cheats in St. Louis, whatever the case may be, you've earned it. You've earned it. To only come back and muddy it with this last run with the with the Chicago White Sox. It's just, it's, it's ugly all the way around. Um, I don't think that Tony or White Sox fans deserve to go through another season like this. And now, our eyes are squarely on Rick Hahn and Jerry Reinsdorf. Because if Tony isn't coming back, is Rick coming back? And if Rick is coming back, Jerry, what did you do to this team in one year's time to make us feel this way going forward? These are the questions that have to be answered. Uh, what, what's going to happen in right field? Still, what's going to happen at second base? You know, is Lucas G. Lito going to return to form? Uh, Dylan Cease, uh, how many years are you going to waste of a prime you know, Dylan Cease, because he is getting ready to step into that prom. We saw him reach his peak, peak Dylan Cease-ness this year. And you expect it to be sustained with good health for the next five, six years. How long is he going to be a White Sox? How long is he going to, you know, how long is he going to be asked to, to, to only give up one or two runs because the offense behind him can't score worth the damn? Like, these are the questions that White Sox fans are going to have going forward. And I'm not mad at it. And if this report is true, I'm not mad at that either. 
I'm just waiting to not be mad at a White Sox season because this one was as disappointing, like I mentioned, as I've seen in a very, very long time. Time for some commercials. Connect with the show 24-7 on the Full Gold voicemail line. Hit us up at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. As you know, our voicemail line is always open for you at 773-359-3103. And we check the machine. You know, you come in the house, you know, you throw your keys and your wallet on the counter. You take off your jacket, throw it wherever you got to throw it because, you know, we don't hang up our jackets. That's, that's for other people to do. You throw your jacket down and you see your, you see your message machine blinking, right? You're like, aha, I went out last night. <laughs> I finally got some good returns. Well, guess what? That's none of our lives now because we're all washed and old except for the young people who are listening to this podcast right now. Now we come in and check our voicemail because it's bill collectors and people with bad news. So, Instead of that, we've got you some sports voicemails here on the Full Go podcast. Jesse, go ahead and run it, brother. What's up, Jason? Loving the Full Go. Um, this is Kyle from Indiana, and I just have I have a lot of concerns about the Bulls this year, um, or not this year as much as moving forward. I just see a team that doesn't have what it'll take to really ever compete for a championship with what they currently are, and I just am worried about. I mean, you have aging stars with DeRozan, and I mean, Levine is not enough to carry the team on its own, in my opinion. Um, I just am curious, like, unless Patrick Williams can really excel to this Kawhi Leonard status that people have talked about, where do we really see, um, how do we see a path for the Bulls to really be a championship competitor um, at some point in the future? Um, I guess I, I, I look at what the Pistons are doing, and I see... Uh, Kate Cunningham and Ivy, that seems like a really good young pairing. Sadiq Bay is good over there. Um, it's really a solid young core. And I'm just worried about exactly what the Bulls all have. Uh, so I'll hang up and, uh, love to hear your thoughts on it. You're, you're my main Bulls go-to guy. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. Great job on the show. Uh, love to listen. Thanks. All right, man. Appreciate the call and go ahead and put that baby to sleep. You know, I heard the baby in the background. We got to take care of the babies at all times. Thanks for listening. Um, what do the Bulls need to do to be a championship contender? Man, that's a tough question. They, right now, they just don't have the horses. Um, it's asking a lot of DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine to be not only the two best players on the team, but then go up against the likes of Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, who already have that championship experience. You saw how that that went down in the first round. And obviously that was with Zach having a, a gimpy knee, right? The Patrick Williams thing, you know, the Kawhi Leonard stuff was because of his demeanor and his you know, large hands and the, the, just the body type, right? Like, you know, Patrick Williams is a big kid and he's lost weight coming into this, uh, Coming into this this training camp, and they, I guess they told him he had to trim down a couple of pounds, and he came back a little bit more svelte. He looked good, looked good. Um, but the Kawhi Leonard stuff, we can kill that. Kawhi Leonard is a generational talent. He is a Hall of Famer. Um, Kawhi Leonard, even when he was, you know, the third or fourth banana on the team with, you know, Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and Tim Duncan, you could see the flashes. With Patrick Williams, you just haven't seen enough of the flashes. And that's no knock on him. It's just the truth. Um, and the reason why we talk about him so much is because he's a good player. And you could see you could see the tangible stuff here. I mean, the measurables are there. And I think the know-how is there. It's just 
that aggressor's mindset, mindset, if he has it or not, can you implant it into somebody? Can you impart upon him that they need you to be a guy who is attacking at all times? Not just when it's the 82nd game of the season and you got the Minnesota Timberwolves and guys are being sat out for rest because you got a first-round playoff series coming up. Not just because... You know, you, it's the end of a series against the Milwaukee Bucks and you, you kind of left for dead and you get back-to-back 20-point performances. They need to see it early and often. You know, it, the more times than not, he's going to be the fourth option out there. You know, and the third option, if a couple of guys are on the bench and if he's out there with all the second unit guys, maybe a second option sometimes. But he's going to have to take, he's going to have to take to whatever his role is and be a star in it. I don't know that this Bulls team is a championship contender. I, in fact, I know they're not a championship contender right now. They're not. Uh, I mean, they're not better than Brooklyn. If if Kyrie, Ben, and Kevin are playing, they're not better than Milwaukee because Milwaukee, I think, again, this year is the best team in the NBA with a healthy Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo is the best player in the game. And then they haven't beat Joel Embiid in his career. Not one game that he's played against the Bulls. So until that happens and James Harden, you know, he said he lost 100 pounds messing around at, at media day the other day. Uh, and Tyrese Maxey is an ascending young star. Um, those three teams I got ahead of the Bulls. Then you got the Boston situation. We'll see how that uh, manifests itself, obviously, with their coaching change. You got Miami. Um, by the way, you know, Jimmy Butler's extensions, um, just weird, weird shit, man. Like, I don't care what kind of troll job is happening. I don't, you know, this is one of those things where it's like, you don't get it, you right, and I'm not. I'm not going to get it. I don't plan on getting it. I'm not in the line to get it. I'm not signing up to get it. If it, if it knocks on my door, I'm not answering it like it's Jehovah's Witness. It, I'm not supposed to get it. I'm not supposed to get it, and I won't get it. Um, but, yeah, you got the Miami squad and that that whole heat culture thing. Tyler Hero bounced back last year after a disappointing, you know, year and a half with injury and, you know, people thinking maybe he took his his eyes off the prize a little bit. He got back into his bag last year. The Miami Heat is still going to be a tough, formidable, not just regular season, but more so playoff team. I just, the Bulls are around that area with a healthy squad. Now, no Lonzo Ball. And of course, the the war of attrition that is the NBA season. You guys aren't, aren't going to get banged up, right? We're still in COVID, right? So guys are going to miss games. So um, this is one of those years where, you know, they won 46 last year. I can easily see them being a 43-44 win team this year uh, because of the steps back that I think they will have to take, especially early on in the season. All right. What's our next voicemail, Jess? Hey, Jason. This is Eric from Braidwood, King of the Hillbillies. <laughs> I just want to talk about uh, Justin Fields a little bit. And I think um, I think he's getting kind of an unfair uh, unfair look because of Mitch Trubisky. You know, everybody's gone through it like, oh, we just need to wait. We just need to wait. We just need to wait. He's going to be better. He's going to be better. And then every week he was a bum. And now we see Justin Fields kind of going through a little bit of that. But I remember when quarterbacks were taken and then maybe they wouldn't even be played two or three years. That was sort of the norm. And I know it's a new era. And, you know, so now we're expecting more and more and more out of these quarterbacks. But if you look at some of these quarterbacks that are taken like uh, Tannehill, um, you know, or, or even uh, Togavailoa. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce his name. But anyway, the <laughs> Miami quarterback, you know, it took him a while to kind of get, get it. And if you, you just give up on them, uh, and you're, you're always going to be constantly cycling through because every year we have a draft and they take five quarterbacks. 
How many great quarterbacks are there in the league? 10, 12? And if you go over 10 years and you take five a year, you know, that that's 50 quarterbacks and only 10 are great. Well, you know, you, you're just expecting too much out of some of these kids and then you, you put them in impossible situations and then you sort of throw them away and, you know, oh, they're a bust. Well, you know, we need to be patient. We need to be more patient with Justin. Give him the entire year. If he looks like trash the whole year, then you might say, well, I don't know if he's going to make it. But my guess is that he's going to get better. And, of course, progression is not – it's not always linear. You have the ups and the downs and the ups and the downs. And everybody says it, but as soon as he has a down, it's like, oh, my God, this is the worst ever. we got to get rid of him. It's so, it's, you know, it's Mitch Trubisky all over again. You know, just we just need to chill out a little bit. That's it. Thanks, Jason. Bye. Appreciate the call, Eric. You know, the Tua Tonga-Vailoa situation and also the Ryan Tannehill situation and the Josh Allen situation, like quarterbacks are largely uh, a manifestation of the, the infrastructure that these organizations have and the coaching that they are directly involved with and then the players that are around them. Okay? Like Ryan Tannehill became a better player when he got out of Miami. <laughs> and he got Derrick Henry to hand the ball off to, and Mike Vrabel coaching him, right? Uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, uh, pretty fast, by the way, was getting ready to get discarded by the Miami Dolphins and their Dolphins fans. And then he got a young coach in Mike McDaniel who, hey, man, if you're, if you're watching right now, Mike McDaniel's beat some of the best coaches in the league in his first three games in, in, in the league, right? I mean, Bill Belichick, right? You know, Sean McDermott, like, He's got, he's got some guys. He's got some heads on his wall already. And it don't hurt having Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Right? It doesn't, doesn't hurt having those dudes. Mike Gusecki and them boys. It doesn't hurt having Teron Armstead as your left tackle, one of the best in the game. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it is um, nurture versus nature. But at the same time, you got to make the plays that are there. And Justin Fields isn't seemingly making the plays that are there. It isn't all, and I know, was it 42% of his dropbacks and something like that have pressures? Well, some of those are on him. Get rid of the football. They don't want the ball. I mean, they don't want you. I keep saying, they don't want you. They want the ball. Get rid of the ball, man. Get rid of the football. And now that everybody's an all-22 guy and girl out there, like people are running back the, this film and seeing clean pockets being left from and, and guys not getting the football delivered to them on time and with accuracy and anticipation the way they should. We're seeing on that scramble that, that he had for, was it, 29 yards, two guys running wide open. I mean, these are, these are inexcusable plays. And I'm as big a Justin Fields fan from a personal standpoint as anybody. And I was rooting for this kid because I thought Justin Fields was the best professional quarterback coming out of that draft, including <laughs> including Trevor Lawrence. And boy, was I wrong because Trevor Lawrence is out here barbecuing folks these last two weeks of the NFL season and got the Jaguars sitting in prime position. They, they might mess around and win that division. But Trevor Lawrence, better coach, right? You go from, you go from Urban Meyer to Doug Peterson. And Christian Kirk, a guy who I think Bears fans would have loved to see the Bears kick the tires on. And people are like, oh, no, it's too much money for a guy who hasn't produced at a high level. Christian Kirk, coming out of high school, is one of the best wide receivers in the nation going to Texas A&M. And then gets drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, 
you know, make some plays, but not consistently enough, but enough for, for him to be on people's radars. Next thing you know, jumps into free agency. He's a Jacksonville Jaguar. Christian Kirk is out here. Was he getting like six, seven catches for 90 yards a game and, and, a, and a touchdown in these first three games? So it does matter, not only your coaching, but also who you're throwing the football to and who's protecting you. Trevor Lawrence is a testament to that. Josh Allen, a testament to that. Josh Allen looked like trash the first year and a half, two years of his NFL career. And all of a sudden, Stephon Diggs ends up in Buffalo. It's one of the best damn wide receivers in all of football. It makes it a lot different, a lot easier. They fortify that offensive line a little bit more. He changes some of his mechanics. Next thing you know, we're talking about Josh Allen like he's the next coming to Dan Marino. So it is your ecosphere. It is your environment. But at the same time, Justin Fields got to play a whole hell of a lot better. All right. Our last voicemail of the night. Hi, this is Nate from Denver, Colorado. I grew up in Illinois in Moline. So lifelong Bears fan. And I have a take on the Aaron Rodgers owning the Bears that I don't think has existed out in the world that needs to be out there. Aaron Rodgers is a delusional narcissist that should have higher goals in his life. It's absolutely ridiculous that he's proud that he owns the Bears. Case in point, that game that he yelled, I own the Bears, 90% of fans in Illinois bet the Packers to win that day. Bears fans knew they were going to lose that game. I've been a Bears fan my entire life. I'm 37. We've lost most of our games to the Packers. We're one of the most inept franchises in the NFL. In the time that there's been two starting quarterbacks in Green Bay, there's been over 40 for the Chicago Bears. We knew we were going to lose that game. Aaron Rodgers is supposed to be one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and he's proud of beating the Bears? That's like Michael Jordan yelling at some chump team that he beat constantly uh, in, in terms of, of pride and, and, and beating his chest. We're not upset as Bears fans because he's right or because he hurt our feelings or because he's trash-talking. We knew he was going to win that game. We knew the Packers were going to win the game. The issue is with Aaron Rodgers. He needs to have higher goals than beating the Bears. He's 11-10 and 10 in the playoffs. He's 1-4 in NFC Championship games. He should be far more concerned with winning the Super Bowl than beating the Bears. He's ultimately wasted a lot of his talent and not come through in the clutch moments. One Super Bowl? I mean, Eli Manning has more Super Bowls than him. Like, his goal should be way higher. That's what makes me have a sports hatred for Aaron Rodgers. Not that he beats the Bears all the time, not all those kind of things, but that he'd be so delusionally narcissistic to be proud about beating the Bears. Set higher goals, man. We know who we are. Do you know who you are? All right, man. I'd love to hear your take on that. I haven't seen one write that or get that out there, but I'd appreciate it if you could pump that up on the podcast. Love the show. Love what you're doing. Love that you're repping Chicago. Best uh, Chicago sports podcast out there. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the pod. And I, and I mean this with all sincerity and as, as kindly as I possibly can. The reason why you haven't uh, heard anybody like um, kind of, publicize that kind of take is because it's fucking ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> like it's, it's the natural rivalry, uh, one of the oldest rivalries in sports. And he has kicked the shit out of the bears <laughs> every damn time he's seen him damn near. And yes, I think he does have bigger goals than being the bears. I don't think the bears are even that high on his list of to do's when he goes into the season. And also, by the way, for a guy who uh, doesn't have more, 
Super Bowls than Eli Manning when we talk about all-time legacies and, and standing in NFL football. Yeah, there's not a lot of quarterbacks you're going to name before you get to Aaron Rodgers in terms of careers, right? Like, you probably get, what? Like, Aaron Rodgers is probably, what, top seven, top eight all-time at this point when you just stack up, like, what the position calls for, how well you play the position. Yeah, so... You, yeah, and and by the way, uh, you know, <laughs> as a delusional narcissist myself, hey man, I'd rather have his faith than any quarterback of the Bears' faith or any Bears fan at this point, right? Because <laughs> at this point now, we're just yeah, you're supposed to beat us. Don't be happy about beating us. Yeah, as as another boot heel goes to the back of your head, like uh, what are we talking about here, huh? You brought up Jordan screaming. Jordan screamed at everybody. Did you not watch the Last Dance? You know, he careers, the, the insignificant careers he burned just because they looked at him sideways? Stop it. Come on, man. We better than that. <laughs> what? I, I would kill to have Aaron Rodgers' lack of accomplishments as a Bears quarterback. <laughs> what? <laughs> what are we talking about here? All right, now I know we're getting into the wacky tobacco here. We're in the weeds now. This is, this is when we shut the old voicemail down for a couple of pods because of submissions like that one. I appreciate you listening, fam, but yeah, man, you got to... Nah, that ain't it. All right, 773-359-3103 is the voicemail line. If you guys want to call and leave submissions like that or the other two that you heard, feel free to do so. We uh, we appreciate when you check in with us here on the Full Go Podcast. It's the Full Go That's all the time we have for episode 156 of the Full Go Podcast with Jason Goff. want to thank our guest, Kevin Fishbane. He covers the Chicago Bears for The Athletic. You can also catch him on various pods, even though he doesn't have one of his own right now. Uh, my bad, Kay. I appreciate you for joining the show either way. So shout out to our guy, Kevin Fishbane. Make sure you're reading everything that he puts out in The Athletic. I want to thank our production staff, as always, the shadowy figure known as Steve Cerruti, the active Jesse Lopez, and my main man, Tony Gill, wasn't with us tonight. I uh, hope everything's good with the fam tone. You know, we're always thinking about y'all for sure, for sure. As we say goodbye, we appreciate you guys out here for downloading this thing, subscribing to this thing, sharing it, rating and reviewing it, whatever you do for this pod. We truly, truly appreciate you. Check us out on Thursday when we get a chance to talk to former New York giant and current media giant in the city of New York, Chris Canty. He will be joining the pod on Thursday. We'll break down whatever the hell we saw from Brian Dable and Daniel Jones on Monday Night Football against Dallas Cowboys. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on the enemy as the Bears' next opponent is the New York Giants. But until then, as always, we leave you with this. Hey, make sure you guys are out there taking care of each other. For real, for real. And always remember to be safe. We'll talk to you soon.